Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. Hello, this is Griffin McElroy. And this is wonderful. I is thought, you, yeah, I thought you might, because to... I always come in and, but I'm like, whoa, did you guys see in the news about the mm-hmm. big uh, beef shortage? And then we have to make jokes about the beef shortage, which is no fucking laughing matter. The beef mm-hmm. is gone. Where's the beef? See, I went and made a joke about it. <laughs> I thought, but I thought if we were going to switch things up that beforehand, you would be like, oh, hey, Rachel, by the way. By the way, I want you to do. I'm going to stare at you a, intently. I'm going to stare at you until you do a starter thing. Don't do the one about the beef shortage. <laughs> People <laughs> get so think freaking sensitive. Mm-hmm. What, but where did the beef go? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Cow run away with the spoon. You know what I mean? Or wait, did the cow jump over the moon? You're almost doing a slam poem right now. <laughs> I, I Has this whole episode so far been a slam poem? I don't know. I open up my box. What's inside? The Not the beef. Oh, see, you're doing it. It's doing when it right. I, if you hesitate even you're for not, a second, yeah, you're not they know right. you're not slamming. You got to do a lot of like, I look into the newspaper and what do i see beef shortage so you talk kind of like a robot <laughs> <laughs> like a bad broken robot <laughs> i opened up the beef tray a little harder than you thought huh where is my beef <laughs> hey do you have any small wonders i do, what do you so got? it's it's actually it's a twitter account oh gosh um I found this. I don't know why, but I found this. It's uh, the account is called Wiki Title Singable to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I don't know how I found it. Yeah. Uh, but all it is, and they tweet almost constantly. It's just eight eight syllables. Yeah. Of... So, for example, um, let me give you one here. Okay. Uh, Spider Man: The Dragons Challenge. Uh, Human Rights Protection Party, <laughs> Senate of the Czech Republic, and it's just constant. It's just, it's just the right number. Oh, babe, and everything they post, they post like with the with, with the, the TMNT font. Format. That's really yeah. good. Dang, that's good. It's very very good. Pleasant Valley Ranger Station. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, dreaming of a Jewish Christmas is a personal favorite of mine. <laughs> that's a wiki title. I'll I guess so. What that is. Um, I got a small wonder. It's a new Pokemon. Yeah. Got it. It came out while we were on like a really long tour uh, this past weekend. And what a, what a time for that to drop because it was just me and Justin, uh, and our business manager, Amanda, uh, just like playing it on the plane. And you can see like a ticker, like a stock ticker of like what your buds are doing. So like I'd lean over and be like, yo, that was a dope Wooloo you just caught. I bet that one's got high (laughs) stats psyched for you, dude, psyched for you. Um, I'm really liking it. I've I've got the I've got the bug again, and I really haven't. Can you in a, explain a long to me time. how they vary. Like the game send, it seems to follow the same format in which. Oh my you god! Are yes, catching the Pokemon. Uh-huh. How does one game? It's just a good one of those. I feel like okay. It's a good one of those. It's got a bunch of quality of life things that would be way too granular for me to unpack here. It's still got its problems, but uh, I think also just it being on the Switch. Like, I love that Switch, and I carry it with me everywhere I go. I found out that I can slip this new, the Switch Lite, into my peacoat breast pocket. And so that shit was with me everywhere in the Midwest. (laughs) And I just, like, pop it out, catch a few Pokemon. 
uh, and then, you know, get back to what I was doing. I got like 130 Pokemon already out of 400 in this version. Wow. So I could ostensibly catch them all. This thing's only been out for a few days, folks. I'm, uh, wow. I might just be the next. You're good at throwing that ball, one. huh? Uh, I am. Do you, I don't know if that was a sex thing, but if it is <laughs> like how, I don't want to, see, I didn't want to make a big deal out of it, but you go first this week. Okay. What is your uh, what is your first thing over there? It wasn't it wasn't a sex thing. It's just I have a very limited knowledge of Pokemon. Yeah, and I know that you throw a ball to catch them. You do, yeah, yeah. Well done. My first thing is Rosie the Riveter. Oh wow! Yeah, I don't know much about Rosie the. Riveter. Well, I actually didn't either. Turns out, Rosie the Riveter was the star of a campaign aimed at recruiting female workers for defense industries during World War II. Bunch of men enlisted in uh, the war, and that meant that if any business was going to continue, the women had to start going into the workforce. Uh, More than 310,000 women worked in the aircraft industry alone. Before or after the the war? I'm guessing after. Like during During. the war. Yes. During. Uh, so that, that represented 65% of the workforce compared to 1% in pre-war years. Oh, shit. <laughs> um, so Rosie the Riveter, uh, stressed the patriotic need for women to enter the workforce. Uh, she was created by a Pittsburgh artist and was featured on a poster for Westinghouse Electric Corporation. Here's the thing that's interesting about... That's that's what you're picturing, right? Yeah. It's like that woman with the little headscarf and whatever. She flexed in those huge guns. There at any at any point nobody said like this is Rosie the Riveter. That actually was assigned later. Whoa. In okay. kind of retrospect. I was gonna ask because this is for an electric company, are rivets an important part of electricity and how it is sort of dispersed? <laughs> yeah, no. So it kind of things were kind of happening simultaneously. So This Pittsburgh artist, Howard Miller, created this uh, for the Westinghouse company, and it was displayed for Westinghouse employees during a two-week period in 1943. So it wasn't even like a promotional thing. This was like an internal memo. No, this, this guy was hired to create a series of posters. And it was only for existing employees to kind of boost. Wow, that's wild. Yeah. What ended up happening was that there was an, another Rosie the Riveter that was created by uh, Norman Rockwell, who okay. was actually the the actual Rosie the Riveter, like woman holding a, a lunch pail with a rivet gun and the lunchbox read Rosie. And this is 1943. So this is like a year later. So, so the thing, the, the icon that we call Rosie yeah. the Riveter isn't Rosie the Not Riveter. Not the origin, no. No, all of this came, there was a popular song called Rosie the Riveter in 1943. Uh, and so there's, there's this, this kind of confluence of events where we all know it as the like, you know, we can do it poster. Right. But that poster actually kind of disappeared and didn't resurface until the 80s as like a feminist icon. Yeah. Um, Part of what I read, the reason that the Norman Rockwell one wasn't used more frequently is that the Rockwell family was very proprietary over the like Rockwell pieces of art. Oh, yeah. And so it was less easy to use that icon going forward. I'm surprised. Were there like... 
and you'll have to forgive my ignorance about Nor- the works of Norman Rockwell, but I assume surrounding his version of Rosie the Riveter, there were, you know, children laying on a rug reading a book <laughs> and a no. grandpa with a hot beverage sitting by a fireplace. No, this was a cover of the Saturday Evening Post. Oh, okay. Um, and, it, you know, it was in 1943. It was this kind of that time period. Sure. Uh, there was actually a Rosie the Riveter film that came out in 1944. Whoa. Based on the based character. On the, based on mm-hmm. the works of Norman Rockwell. <laughs> I guess this is, I don't know if this was a talkie or not, but I guess if it was, <laughs> if it was pre-spoken word, they could just say like, yeah, look, it's the, it's the one from Normo, you know? It's the forties, babe. They had, they had film. Did they have talkies though? Yeah. <laughs> yes. When did people start talking in movies? You don't know. I don't know for sure. Yeah. But I do know. Casablanca probably came out <laughs> back then or something. Like Jimmy Stewart, you know. Yeah, those Jimmy folks. was making flicks back then. Yeah. They had talkies. I've definitely heard that man's voice. <laughs> um, so the women that went back and, and worked specifically as riveters were called Rosies in that time period. Like it, it really took off. It became like a huge, huge piece for that effort. Sure. Um, But again, the picture that we all identify with it today is not actually where that came from. You know, it's wild though. I was thinking about it and I was going to ask before you started if Norman Rockwell was the one who drew this Rosie. Because there is something Rockwellian about it. Yeah. So the the most credible, because everybody's like, is this based on a real person? Where'd this come from? The most credible claim, there is a photo um from 1942 of this woman named Naomi Parker Fraley, who was working in a machine shop in California. And in the photo she's using, or she's using like a riveter and she is um, wearing like a polka dotted bandana. Okay. So there's a suggestion like, oh, she must be the inspiration. Right. I hope she got some residuals, man. Uh, Actually, what's interesting, she was incorrectly identified in that photo. So everybody associated the photo with another woman. This is like four <laughs> layers of us just dropping the fucking ball on this one. Yeah, it just the the photo had been like incorrectly attributed to a woman who was actually still in high school when that photo was taken. Okay. So it was only later she was like looking at an exhibit or something and was like, "Hey, that's me." That's yeah. Whoops, guys. Um So this propaganda campaign about getting women into the workforce uh, was hugely effective. And what was interesting is that after the war ended, all the propaganda was suddenly like, and now go back home. Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. There were actually like government sponsored efforts to encourage women to basically, now you're needed at home again, ladies. Uh, And as such, the overall percentage of working women fell from 36% to 28% in 1947. Um, but a lot of women still stuck around. Um, the oldest, last known riveter from that time period built airplanes for 50 years and was just laid off at age 95 in 2014. Fuck yes. Are you kidding me? 
By the time she left, she had worked on every single C-17 plane at the Boeing plant. She, she's Rosie the Riveter now. I feel like if you are the <laughs> Highlander, like last last woman standing in that mm-hmm. career, but you, you congratulations. You're I Rosie know. the Riveter now. Matt, and that's the thing. She didn't, I, at first I read something that she retired at 95, but then I read she was laid off at 95. That sucks. That does, right? that does suck. Although, I, you know, 95, 50 years working there, hopefully the severance was quite choice. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I thought of this recently because you, around Halloween time, you see a lot of ladies going out there in the, in the Rosie, the Riveter yeah. uh, outfit, but it is just kind of a nice reminder of this time when the country really needed women to step up and fill all these positions for the men that were fighting. Yeah. Uh, and it really changed things for women fundamentally from there on out. It was like, Hey, we showed you all that we can do it and that we're just as dedicated and we're just as important and we're not going anywhere. Hell yeah. Uh, so I, I feel like anytime I see Rosie the Riveter, it's just a reminder of that really pivotal time point in history. Uh, well, jump into my first thing. Uh, it's not quite as uh, sort of iconic and culturally important as yours. So I'm feeling, again, a sort of rough transition here, a sort of tonal uh, whoops-a-doodle, if you will. Because my first thing I have written here, good robots. Good robots. Mm. A good robot mm. who is not an evil, a good... I wanted to, I wanted, I was originally, I was like, robots are pretty badass. Cause I feel like I'm, I've been on sort of a Star Wars kick lately. And so, like, I think I've just got droids on the brain. Oh, I have a transition for you. Oh, okay. Okay. We, we can just edit all that out. Yeah. Sure. And go back to, uh, speaking of a Rosie that was uh, a robot, robot. She was on a good, the Jetsons. Yeah. Was she a good robot? I guess so. I mean, she was sassy, but she got, she, she got it done. Yeah. She did. She got it done. She was a, she was a good robot. Yeah. I was trying to think if there was ever an episode where she like attempted to thwart or perhaps even terminate the Jetson family. So when you say good robot, you mean robots that aren't, um, you know, contrarian? No, I mean, I'm couching this mostly because I know that eventually robots are either going to destroy the oh. world or the economy. And I don't want this. I don't want people to play this episode back and be like, Griffin, see, Griffin was, uh, you know, he helped this sort of robocalypse come to pass. <laughs> I don't want that. I enjoy good robots. Uh, I'm also not talking about like the Iron Giant, who's an incredibly good robot. Yeah, for sure. Everybody wants him to be bad and everybody thinks he's bad, but everybody like this one little boy and maybe Harry Connick Jr. and maybe Jennifer Aniston were like, okay, you're a good robot now. I'm going to start crying now just thinking about Iron Giant. Oh my gosh, that takes the McElroys down. It is a, uh, it's a heavyweight. Uh, I'm talking about actual factual good robots and you may be wondering big dog big dog's a good robot are you kidding me this big dog is a good robot not not the most practical i think big dog breaks the mold for me because i'm talking mostly about good practical robots that help us yeah uh in our day-to-day lives big dog hasn't helped me necessarily but um it's hard not to watch this guy try and climb up some stairs and be like you can fucking do it big yes big dog (laughs) um roomba roomba's a good robot this little robot goes around and eats up all your crumbs in your hair so that you don't have to step around in it and get your feet dirty because yeah. Roomba goes in there and eats it just so you can be happy and so you'll be proud of it. And he like learns your house too. He learns where your house, where the stuff he goes. He doesn't go down the stairs. He He's doesn't go down the stairs. Very conscientious. We just personified Roomba extremely hard and it's hard not to do that with Roomba. That's the kind of robot I think I'm talking about. The one okay. that you cannot help but personify yes. mm-hmm. because he did such a good job and he's doing his 
absolute best, and sometimes he'll bump into the table leg, but you moved it. And how's Roomba supposed to, you know, Roomba don't got eyes. Roomba's maybe got a camera or some sensors. Mm-hmm. But be nice to Roomba because Roomba wants to do its best. I like that. Anytime I see a house with a Roomba or an off-brand Roomba, I get so excited. This I also want to explains why recently you've taken to buying our three-year-old son robots that he is far too young to manage. Yeah, well, we got the, we did the droid building experience at Disney World, but that was a good pickup. He fucking loves that robot, and I'm way into that. But he picked out, we let him pick out a toy at a toy store, and he picked this, like, very technical dancing robot that he played with for, like, 30 seconds. It was like, I don't know how to do the buttons, so goodbye. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about another good robot, and this one lives in the Austin airport. This one's maybe a little bit bougier of a robot, but I travel a lot these days and I love the Austin airport but there are um, there are like three good places in the whole airport to like get not awful coffee uh, like not complete like I, I'm, I am not like a coffee snob I'm talking about it's not like super super shitty airport coffee and like 300 degrees and it's, it, yeah <laughs> uh, and there's like so there's like only a small handful of places at the Austin airport to get good coffee and I like I drink a lot of coffee every morning to get going uh, and those three places always have like a wild line and I'm always coming in pretty hot when I go to the airport. And so most of the time, like I just didn't get the coffee and I'd have to get the airplane coffee and that's a horse of a different color. Um, no, it's not, it's the same color. It's bad coffee, <laughs> but now there's this robot. His name is Brigo. Brigo lives at the airport. There's two of him. Uh, and Bri- I don't think I understand how Brigo works. Brigo's a friendly robot. He's a big box. He's a big, big box. And he listens to an app you have on your phone. And you say, hey, Brigo, I'm on my way to the airport. I'll be there in a couple minutes. Or, hey, Brigo, I just got off a plane. I'm walking towards the gate where you live outside of, watching and smiling at all the happy airplane <laughs> reunions. Um, do you think that you could make me a uh, 16-ounce coffee with uh, two ounces of half and half and a shot of uh, like vanilla flavoring and one packet of stevia? Thank you, Brigo. And Brigo says, sure, just roll up to me. I got a screen on me. You're going to punch in this secret password. I'm going to tell you this secret three-digit <laughs> password. And then you go to the machine, and it's made your coffee inside of Brigo. Brigo takes the ingredients inside of his body and turns it into the okay. drink you order. So you, it's not like it, it sits in a holding container. It does sit in a holding container. I mean, it keeps it warm. It warms it for you. So when you order it. Yes. It, does it make it immediately? It makes it, uh, yeah, it and makes then it. kind of pushes it out the door for you when you arrive. Yes, exactly. You can also decide how hot you want it to be. Brigo, you shouldn't have because I'm going to get on this plane. I need it to be drinkable now. Thank you, Brigo. Like I get it. It's kind of incredible. It's a tech. It's a techie like brand, and I know that that raises some people's hackles. But I'm rolling up to the airport, and my flight's going to start boarding in five minutes. And like, I would really like a coffee. And here is this big robo box. Does it ever tell you like, hey, I ran out of vanilla? Sorry, he's never run out. He's never run out. He's uh, a true friend. Uh, Paro, the therapeutic baby seal robot that they have in some like hospitals and nursing homes that like provides people sort of like social comfort because it can make eye contact and blink and like make little seal noises and snuggle with you. I did not you. know about this guy. He's a good guy. And you don't have to like worry about like feeding him or anything like that. He's just a little robot companion if you're lonely. That's very good. I learned about a new one today. And uh, this robot's name is Jita. And it's a little cargo robot. 
and it's from the company that makes the Vespa, the uh, the the scooter, and it's just like this little circular helper bot that rolls around behind you, and it can carry forty pounds of cargo, and it'll follow you up to six miles an hour, uh, and it can avoid obstacles, and it has a zero turning radius, and it just follows you all around, and you're like, ooh, uh, I need to get my groceries. I'm gonna put it in your brain, and you're gonna carry it for me. Thank you, Jita. And she's like, no problem. And then you're probably like, somebody's going to steal the groceries from Jita. No, it's got a fingerprint sensor. It'll only open up for you. Whoa. Jita, you're such a good friend. So it's not a shopping cart. No, it's a little, it's about the size of a tire. It looks kind of like a tire, but it's, it, it, it isn't just one big rolling tire. It would fuck up all the cargo it has inside of it if that was the case. It's just a little friend that helps you and carries your things. I love these good robots. Yeah. These no, are, good are good robots. robots. We need more of them, more good robots. Um, and we need to, I don't, and I don't know how we prevent this, but keep them from being corrupted by the bad <laughs> robots or the malicious code made by people. Robots aren't going to be the one that fucks this up for us all. We're going to start I, the yeah, fire. I agree with you. Anyway, hey, can I steal you away? Yes. Griffin? Yeah. You know what's a shame? What? Is that when you order uh, meals to be delivered to you, they can only be for dinner. That's true because of the law. But wait, wait, what's this coming across our desk? The law is different now? (laughs) It's factor. These rebels are operating outside the boundaries of food law. (laughs) Factor has breakfast. They have midday bites. They have smoothies. Uh, There's lots of stuff you can get with Factor. What other things can you get with Factor? Well, I'm looking at this menu right now. They got a lot of tasty little options for you. I'm talking about artichoke and spinach chicken with roasted zucchini and tomato butter. Did you even know that butter could be tomato? (laughs) Not me. Shredded chicken and loaded mashed taters. With I changed the word. They say potatoes, but I said taters, precious. With mushroom <laughs> gravy, smoked cheddar, uh, bacon, and Parmesan broccoli. Uh, this this menu is out of sight, and my mouth is just watering looking at these glossy JPEGs of tasty food. So head to factormeals.com slash wonderful50 and use code wonderful50 to get 50% off. That's code wonderful50 at factormeals.com slash wonderful50 to get 50% off. It can be intimidating trying to roll with the console cowboys in cyberspace. Um, there's always the worry that maybe they know something that you don't vis-a-vis um, website design or website functionality, and you think, I could never be that. I could never be among their illustrious ranks. Griffin, if I wanted to build a website where I ranked my favorite episodes of Ghost Rider, would I be able to do that? Well, first of all, it would be the same list as everybody else's with the Julia Styles <laughs> episode at the top. But yes, you can do that with Squarespace. It's the all-in-one platform for building your brand and growing your business online. Every Squarespace website and online store comes with a suite of integrated features and useful guides that help maximize prominence among search results. Do you want to have special functionality, like maybe a members-only VIP club section of your website? You can do that. Do you want to sell stuff? Yeah, you can do that too. Do you want to have an online scheduler so that people you can, you can sell uh, your time yeah you can do that also anything is possible 
that's um there for the commercial the super bowl commercial they had that was my voice yelling anything is possible in the wow background. yeah not a lot of people know that hey head to squarespace.com slash wonderful pod for a free trial and when you're ready to launch use offer code wonderful pod to save 10 percent off your first purchase of a website or domain hey can i read you a personal message uh yes this is i don't know if you read ahead this is part of a set mm-hmm. okay uh this message is for brunch squad it is from rachel brand Brunch Squad, meeting you all at the Nashville shows in June was one of my favorite wonderful things to ever happen. Just wanted to say thank you for the unending love and support and the sharing of this inclusive McElroy community, despite us all being states away. Let's keep conquering this distance. See you soon. Your babyest, Rachel E. Brand. That is uh, good. I'm glad we can be uh, even a very, very small part of helping helping these fine folks come together yeah. and find friendship. That is one of the things that brings me the most joy in the whole world because this next message is also for Brunch Squad. And this one's from Sid who says, Brunch Squad, thank you for being my go-to team. Even though we live across five different states, you've made me feel so welcomed and loved at the Nashville Mabim Bam and it's been nonstop encouragement, delicious meal swaps and goofs ever since. Thank you for for existing. You're all pretty wonderful. Love, Sid. It's so embarrassing they sent the same message. Brunch Squad is real powerful in this episode. Brunch Squad is unstoppable in this episode. It's a mm-hmm. it's an absolute uh, avalanche. Of... I just I just realized that that was a, a play on Munch Squad. Didn't It's a completely separate thing. Didn't... And it's so embarrassing they didn't know about <laughs> our thing when they did their thing. <laughs> Hi, I'm Renee Colbert. I'm Alexis Preston. And we're the hosts of the smash hit podcast, Can I Pet Your Dog? Now, Alexis. Yes. We got big news. Uh Uh-oh. Since last we did a promo, our dogs have become famous. World famous. World, like, stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Second big news. Mm -hmm. The reviews are in. Mm Mm-hmm. Take yourself to Apple Podcasts. You know what you're going to hear? We're happy. It's true. We're a delight, a great distraction from the world. I like that part a lot. So if that's what you guys are looking for, mm-hmm. you got to check out our show. But what else can they expect? We've got dog tech, dog news, celebrities with their dogs, all dog things. All the dog things. So if that interests you, well, get yourself on over to Maximum Fun every Tuesday. What's your second thing? My second thing is also kind of a heavy, uh, heavy hitter. Okay, what is it? insulin whoa <laughs> i uh is this because the thing that happened in the news about people trying to synthesize their own insulin i didn't know about that oh yeah i this saw is it totally unrelated yeah i saw it in the news today I, I well i think it was like a verge report or something that's on about the people who are trying to like you know fucking hack insulin medicine so that people wow. don't have to pay fifty five thousand fucking dollars for it anymore wow that's incredible no, i don't know I how much know about I, that. I didn't i did not uh i did not read the article but so i don't know how far along they are but yeah. uh yeah keep keep at it y'all you're uh wow. you're not doing the lord's work you're doing the work that human beings should be doing and not being yeah. uh fucking shitty about it okay Sorry, I didn't That's mean to fair. Interrupt. Yeah, I, I'm always hesitant to kind of tread into medical topics. One, because Dr. Sidney McElroy uh, kind of owns the the skills on that one. Right. But um, also, well, there's a lot of medical stuff out there that's pretty wonderful, and it's hard not to uh, talk about it. And you, I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but like, it's an issue, I think, pretty near and dear to yeah, your Yeah, so heart. I was going to talk about it. So uh my dad has type 1 diabetes, and it's interesting because that is a type of diabetes that is typically um, discovered when you are uh, juvenile and actually used to be called like juvenile diabetes. 
um, because it's where the pancreas just doesn't produce insulin. Mm. Uh, so you are dependent on insulin to just function as a human being. Whereas type two diabetes, often individuals will produce insulin, just not in sufficient right. quantities to function well. Um, and, and all of this happened when I was real little. So ever since I can remember, my dad's been diabetic. Um, but this is not something he had most of his life. And I think it was real tough going for a while, trying to kind of figure out how to manage it. Um, as an adult, right? You know, having been used to you know the majority of your life not needing anything, right. and then all of a sudden you have to dramatically change everything. Um, and I, I had known that in my own lifetime, kind of the technology behind insulin had advanced pretty dramatically, but I didn't realize kind of how recently this all came together. Hmm. Um, so this is like back in the nineteen twenties um, was when they first discovered that insulin was a thing that would help diabetics. Um, for a long time, they didn't really know the cause of diabetes. And so people didn't live very long with it. Um, the most effective treatment was to put people on diets. Uh, but it would only usually extend their life a few years after they were diagnosed. Jesus. And often the diets were so strict that people were getting as little as like 450 calories a day. Jesus Christ! So they would die of starvation. <sighs> uh, and so as they focus more on the pancreas, they discover this very specific cluster of cells called the uh, islets of Langerhans. Whoa, that's badass. <laughs> that sounds so cool. That sounds like the next like a George R.R. R. Martin book. <laughs> Which is how uh, they came up with the term insulin because the Latin word insula means island. Okay, I didn't, this is fun. I'm learning mm -hmm. so much. So in 1921, uh, Frederick Banting and his assistant Charles Best figured out how to remove insulin from a dog's pancreas. And when they put it into another dog that had severe diabetes, the dog lived for an additional 70 days and only passed when there was no more insulin available. Wow. So that's when they realized, like, oh, this is the key. This is what, you know, creatures with diabetes need. Uh, and then it just kind of advanced from there. They, they moved from dogs to a more pure form of insulin that could be found in the pancreas of cattle. And it was in 1922, there was a 14-year-old boy in a Toronto hospital became the first person to receive insulin. And within 24 hours of receiving it, his dangerously high blood glucose levels dropped to near normal levels. And they were like, here we go. We figured it out. Uh, and so... A year later, they received the Nobel Prize. <laughs> yeah, I would fucking say so. <laughs> and started large-scale production uh, of insulin from cattle and pigs for many, many years. Uh, the first genetically engineered synthetic human insulin was produced in 1978 using E. coli bacteria. Wow. Which I thought was interesting. Yeah. Because the problem with the insulin um, that was coming from cows and pigs cause a lot of allergic reactions well and you have patients. to harvest it from from other animals which i yeah. imagine is like a, it is a fine it's a more finite thing than something you can synthesize yeah it was very difficult and i i would say if i remember correctly it was you know early in the 80s a lot of people were still using that pig and cow insulin i think i do not i would have literally no way of knowing. i think including my dad because if I remember correctly, it was only after he'd had it for a few years that you could really get this synthetic human insulin. 
because um, it wasn't until 1982 that Eli Lilly went on to sell the first commercially available human insulin, uh, which now comes in many forms um, from regular human insulin, identical to what the body produces on its own to ultra rapid and ultra long acting insulin. Oh, uh, so yeah, 1.25 million people have type one diabetes. Uh, so obviously this is like a significant yeah, thing. Sure. Um, people can get it at any point in their life. You just find it often in younger people because if your body isn't producing insulin, usually you can catch on pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and I, I just, it's just incredible. It's incredible just within our own lifetime, how much that's advanced. Um, I remember there was a, uh, there was a girl that I was in like, uh, all the like, you know, talented and gifted, whatever you, yeah. whatever your school called it, um, that had type one diabetes and like came in one day with like one of these pumps and yeah. all of us were like, so like, kind of like super curious about, I mean, we were like the, you know, science, yeah. science nerd kids. So we were like, we wanted to know everything about it. Uh, and I feel like at first, pretty much everybody thought that she was like the youngest kid to ever have a beeper. Everybody <laughs> thought it was a fucking beeper. And so like, she got like some street cred like. out of it. Uh, but yeah, I remember, I like, I remember that was, but that wasn't until like, uh, like sixth grade or something like that. And before that, like I hadn't even heard of diabetes before yeah. because I, I don't know. I maybe my my bubble was a little bit small. Being yeah, it's kind of I mean, it's kind of an invisible condition. You yeah. know, if you, if you manage it right, um, which, you know, is easier or more difficult for some people. But, you know, you can just kind of live your life and it's not particularly noticeable. Yeah. Um, but I, I imagine at least my experience is that every every case can be different. Yeah. You know, um, and it. I mean, I know from my dad's, it took a long time for him to figure out kind of how to manage it. And as the drugs advanced, it only got easier and yeah. easier. Um, so, yeah, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm real grateful for it. I think it's, it's one of those things um, that I can't imagine not existing. You know, it's like, for me, it's, it's like penicillin, you know, it's yeah. like this, this incredible drug that is so necessary to daily life now uh, that has like fundamentally changed our lives uh, and is, is just a really wonderful thing that's fantastic yeah uh, i'm actually really excited about my second thing i was trying to figure out the correct sometimes i struggle to like really encapsulate what i want to talk about in like a yeah. single sort of uh no, phrase or something like that because what i started out with was like the experience of eating german food in a public sort of beer hall beer garden setting the entire the, the entire sort of german food eating experience in an established limit like that and like how it how well everything sort of pairs up and the like warm nice sort of the nice sense of sort of like warmth and community it gives you but then i learned there's a german word for it oh good and i'm going to try and pronounce it okay. i'm going to do a very bad job uh gemutlichkeit it wow. is it roughly translates to like this warm friendly feeling of good cheer or coziness and peace of mind it's an incredibly good word that i will never say again because i'm pretty sure i just embarrassed myself but it describes this experience that i'm talking about um and i know that like not everybody's excited about drinking big big glasses of beer and so like i'm not even talking about like that's not even the the big thing for me this is not like i'm not thinking about this is my favorite way to get plastered drunk uh it is i mean it's maybe a little bit of a part of that but like i'm not talking about anything debaucherous 
to set this up, uh, we had a sort of uh, a day off during this last tour. And so uh, me and Justin and Travis and our uh, and Paul, who's our tour manager, and Amanda, who's our, our business manager and her husband, uh, we went to a German beer hall in Milwaukee. Oh, my God. And we went there and it was cold as hell outside. And we went in and it was really nice and warm. Uh, we found like a big table right away, sat down, got like liter glasses of like crisp lager and had like some curds and big pretzels and, you know, schnitzel and a bunch of different types of sausages. And <sighs> like we drank that and then we played this game where you have to hammer nails into a big log, like hand cut nails <laughs> You got to use this big, like five pound hammer to Wait, do it at your, at your table. Like, no, this was like right next to our table. Oh, okay. Uh, and so like, you have to just get it in. And the person with the last like nail stand, there's a lot of different rules for this, for nail game. We couldn't figure out what it was actually called, but we played that. And then this, there was a stage where a guy started playing acoustic guitar and he was playing a lot of those, you know, CGF three chord, chord classics, uh, did take us to Margaritaville, which Justin very much appreciated. <laughs> But all of this went hand in hand. And like, I left that thinking like, that was a fucking great night. And also is sort of representative of like most times that I've gone to a place like this and eaten food like this yeah, and, no, you're right. and drink beer like this. Um, if you go somewhere and they serve sausage and pretzels and kind of adopt like a like a German sensibility, like yeah. it, it follows a format. I know this does not like encapsulate all of German cooking. That would be like an incredibly reductionist way of like looking at this entire culture's food output. But like the, the meals that I've eaten at, you know, beer halls, beer gardens, uh, Hofbrau house place like that, places like that. Uh, there, there is something so like pure about this pairing of here is a tall, like outrageously large, crisp beer. And here's a bunch of like super savory, salty food to go with it. And those two together, just like, it makes sense. This may also be, I mean, you may be about to talk about this, but you're kind of your first international travel was to Germany. And so I imagine I think that resonates with me in a major way. The, The first time I ever left the country was when I... God, it was post-college because it was when we were were together. Yeah, Mm -hmm. holy shit. So this must have been 2011. Uh, I was, I, you know, I had always thought of myself as like not the type of person who could travel internationally uh, that I like wouldn't know what to do or that I would like embarrass myself. And I did. Um, But the first time I left the country was to go to Gamescom, this big game conference in Cologne, Germany. And I went with some folks that, uh, you know, Polygon was pretty new at the time. So like I didn't know them especially well. And our first night there, you know, I was super jet lagged and like fish out of water. And we went to this beer hall and I ate, you know, Jaeger schnitzel for the first time and had all these like tiny, like tall cylindrical glasses of like extremely light lager and had a bunch of those. And then by the end of the night, we were all like, I got to know them a lot better yeah. than I would at any other kind of like sort of dinner celebration. And it's because of this Gemütlichkeit, I'm telling you. Ooh, you they did it got again. It. I know, I got it brave. <laughs> Um, I just like pretzels with the big ass pretzels that you just can tear apart as a group and dip in like some sort of cheese you are and mustard. The it's, right I, now. I know. You know I love a soft pretzel. There's some good places for that in Austin, which I am very grateful for. Yeah, uh, it's true. And I, I, you know, there's even like good beer halls in in Austin that have like uh, you know fairly authentic German food, and uh, it is. I so Paul was talking about this like, uh, and I, I feel like I'm sort of on the same page. Of it is a type of cuisine that I forget that I fucking love. Like I really like, and I really, really like going to places like that with groups of friends because it is a 
it is an experience with such a singular purpose when it like works yeah. and it is uh i don't know I, I i am again struggling to kind of like put put the right words to it but um it's just you know going out and having a a, a tall glass of refreshing beer there's with like, salty food and playing spirit. games there's and like a to, spirit behind it you know yeah like a lot of uh food that you find associated with american culture for example is all about convenience. You know, it's not really about the like. Sure. The like me. I don't know. I, I guess I'm thinking about like, you know, Upscale. hamburgers. Yeah. Well, I'm, <laughs> but what I'm thinking about is like a crawfish boil or a low country boil or something. Yeah. Like, that's like fair. you know, a nice long table with a bunch of food on it that yeah. is like spicy and salty and you have some drink. Like, yeah, man, that's really good stuff. Yeah. Keep it up. Jaeger schnitzel is also fantastic. I would love. I think I've made it before. How, didn't I, I made Jaeger schnitzel for us before with like pork cutlets? I for sure did. Yeah, I think so. You're right. That was a long time ago. Yeah. I will say this: the next day, I wasn't hungover because that is the miracle of all of this like extremely like <laughs> heavy, salty, fatty mm-hmm. German food. I was not hungover, but my stomach was <laughs> confused. My stomach was like, that was too much. You know this. Griffin, <laughs> we've been working together for 32 years now. I thought that you have figured this out by now. That was way too much. You know that, right? I don't know if working together is really the relationship you have with your stomach. It's more like you work next to each other and occasionally well, your your interests align. It's sort of a like, who's the boss here yeah. situation. <laughs> Uh-huh. We that's the that's the first dilemma. Tony it's sort, Danza. It's a lot. I've only watched a few episodes of it, but it's kind of like Succession. Like we're mm-hmm. both sort of angling for mm-hmm. for for and not like who's not like who's the boss. The popular sitcom with Tony Danza. Is that what the plot of that show is about? Tony Danza trying to wrest control of the household. <laughs> a little bit. Oh wow. Okay. <laughs> I got some submissions here. This one's from Cassidy, who says something I think is wonderful is the Jeep Wave. Have you heard of the Jeep Wave? No. Uh, I drive a Jeep. And Jeep drivers always wave at each other in some way when we pass each other on the road. The most common is to flash a peace sign. But I've seen people do all (laughs) all sorts of things, including excitedly waving their arms out the top of the car or reaching out the side of the car when the door is off and waving with an arm and leg. It's a a little thing that makes me smile on a daily basis. I didn't know there was this secret Jeep society. I didn't. I knew that there are particular models of car that people feel a real kinship like subarus for example oh yeah there's a lot of esteem between get a room already subaru owners yeah <laughs> i wasn't aware of the jeep wave yeah um, but i i mean it's delightful us volkswagen owners just have to look ashamed that we got the wool <laughs> pulled over our eyes uh, here's one from uh, Denali who says, uh, a little thing that's always guaranteed to put me in a good mood is pulling up to a parking meter that has time left on it, even if it's just a few minutes. Oh, that's good. Such a good one. Ugh, if, uh, pulling, first of all, pulling up to parking, period is good yeah <laughs> there is no experience more pure to and i think this may be from owning a car in chicago there is no experience more thrilling dare i say erotic than parking <laughs> a car in an urban environment yeah and having it not be your fucking problem anymore for even a little especially bit. if you're parking somewhere and it it is during a time period where there is no charge yes. that is a miraculous feeling it's of like so fantastic. i just get to leave my car here hey thanks to bowen and augustus for these for our theme song money won't pay you can find a link to that in the episode description and to maximum fun thanks for having us on the uh, on the old network there buddy 
Yeah, if you haven't checked out MaximumFun.org, I think you should because there are new episodes of great shows posted every single day. Yeah, uh, every single day. You will never be hungry for content. It's true. uh, And it's going to fill you right up. And uh, we got other stuff at McRoy.Family. Find links to that. Um, Gosh, you know, it's weird not having any tour dates to promote. We are done with the Become the Monster yeah, Tour. And uh, Candle Nights, we're very excited for. Rachel and I are going to do a, a, a holiday or maybe Huntington-themed Wonderful. What are we going to do? I did think, I think it's funny that you think that I would be able to do a Huntington-themed Wonderful. <laughs> maybe this will be a very lopsided episode of Wonderful, where I just, I could do a whole episode about Flapjacks to Napas. You know what I was thinking of? What? Um is whether or not I could find Griffin McElroy trivia that I could I could share. Ooh. That I find wonderful. That could be fun. Mm-hmm. That could be fun. You would have definitely some sources for that data. Bring, bring that some intel. of your high school buds up on stage and get some real Griffin McElroy gems. Well, let's not go wild here. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's it. We're going to head out then. Time to get going. Mm. So see you later. Bundling up and uh, warming up the car. Yeah. Bye. Ah, oh, we did the thing where he said bye, but we're walking the same direction, aren't no. we? Oh, audience, why don't you stay right here? <laughs> and we're going to run away. You ran too, audience. <laughs> now this is just, hey, are you fucking following us? <laughs> Gun it, Rachel. <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported. Hey, cool shirt. Oh, this? Thanks. I got it at MaxFunStore.com. MaxFunStore.com. Hmm, that's strange. I visited MaxFunStore.com. MaxFunStore.com. A few weeks ago and didn't see it. That's because they've just launched a ton of new stuff. Right in time for the holidays. Oh, cool. There's patches, mugs, totes, stickers. Even a onesie. Nice. Those would make great gifts for everyone I know. Great, because I already got you something from there. Thanks. Now, excuse me a moment. I need to look up MaxFunStore.com on my smartphone. You know, to see what's new. Yeah, you can't go wrong with anything from MaxFunStore.com. MaxFunStore.com.